Welcome back to the J.C. Hoose Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Collier. We have a new publisher here at the show. As most of you know, I accepted a position with Rivals to cover Arkansas basketball, and I'm fortunate enough that they picked up my podcast too. Very thankful to Rivals and the Arkansas Rivals team for the opportunity. Nikki Chavanel and Andrew Hutchison are world-class journalists and people, and I really look forward to working with them. Also new to the podcast, we have our first official sponsor here at the J.C. Hoose Podcast, CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers. CJ's has locations in Fayetteville on Weddington and in Russellville on North Arkansas Avenue. Online ordering is available at their Fayetteville location, and CJ's has been voted best burger and fries in the state, fulfilling their motto, when all you do are burgers, they have to be the best. Now on to our guest for this edition of the J.C. Hoots Podcast. He's a native of Greenwood, Arkansas, and has coached at both the high school and college level. In 2016, he led the Washington Huskies women's team to the Final Four, the program's first ever, and came home the next April to take over the Arkansas Lady Razorbacks program. Please welcome to the show, head coach Mike Neighbors. How you doing, coach? Doing great, man. How about yourself? Man, I'm doing pretty well. I can't really complain. Just uh, hanging at the house, prepping for law school, doing interviews, living the life, you know? My papa told me when I grew up that you better not complain because most people would be happy you're having those problems, you know. So no use complaining. Everybody would be uh, better off if you didn't. So good to, good to hear that you're doing well. Good luck in law school. We all we need we need good lawyers. Yes, sir. I really appreciate that. And yeah, what your what your papa said is definitely true. No <laughs> no use complaining because nobody cares no. when you complain anyway. No, they don't care. Most of them are glad you're having those issues just like they do. So. Uh, waste of time. Yes, sir. So I wanted to start by uh, getting you to tell a story. Um, so my dad was a high school coach and went to the clinic at Hendrix a few years ago where you were a speaker. Okay. Uh, and you were at Washington at the time. And my dad said you were the best speaker there, actually. Um, and this is one where I think Tubby Smith was there and I want to say a, f- <laughs> a few other guys were there. And my dad just, he came home, he goes, man, that Mike Neighbors, he said, Arkansas needs to hire him. And then, here you are. Um, (laughs) Sounds like I need to hire your dad to go around and be my hot man. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. There you go. But uh, he said that you told a great story about giving your players uh, the green light to shoot. Um, I don't remember the specific details of, of the story. I remember... Um, I think it was an NCAA tournament game, and your team was behind. Um, and you had either one or a couple of your players who were just shooting as soon as they crossed half court, but you couldn't say anything because they had the green light. And lo and yeah. behold, they ended up shooting you back into the game. Yeah, uh, it's you know kind of a philosophy that developed over a, a large number of years uh, as a player and then as a coach, as an assistant coach and a head coach, that, you know, if a player is going to come in and, and do their work in the gym, um, in practice, outside of practice, you know, what we, we like to call in the dark, uh, when nobody's watching, uh, that I should be, I should trust them and I should let them play when it comes game time. So we've, we've got some drills we do. We've got some standards that you have to live up to to earn a green light. They're really hard. Uh, very, very few people. Uh, actually put the work in to, to earn one of those things. But once you put that work in, then I, I'm not going to question your shot selection. Uh, you've done the work, now go out and play. Um, sometimes it looks crazy. 
but other times it works out like you're talking about in that story. But I, I just I knew that as a player, if I put the work in, I wanted to have a coach that had confidence in me, and that's where it all stemmed from. And it's kind of grown into something that uh, you know we talk to recruits about, and our players talk about around here how hard it is to get that green light, but how how good it feels to have it. Uh, when your team and your coaches know that uh, that you've got trust and confidence in them, do you remember that specific story? Oh yeah, yeah, that was that was uh, back when we were at Washington. We had uh, uh, we'd gotten ourselves behind a little bit in the first round of the NCAA tournament, and a team was playing really good defense on us, forcing us to take tough shots. We were we were taking contested shots. It was like we were trying to get too close, and we should point out at halftime that. You know, shoot it when you're open. I don't know why all of a sudden in the NCAA tournament you're going to, you know, because you're on TV or because it says the NCAA tournament on your, your shirt, why why are you guys changing? You guys have done what you've done for the, you know, all the last season for sure, some of them for the last two or three years. So let's let's go play the second half. And then we came out on fire. And, and the player you're talking about, his name's Kelsey Plum, who would end up becoming the all-time leading scorer in the history of college basketball. Um so it was good to have a player like that with the green light. She shot us back in it. We were able to win that first round game, and you know, as you mentioned, that that was the year we ended up playing in the Final Four. So um, that was that was that was where green light stemmed from. We still have it today. You know, Alexis Tolfrey had it for us last year. Amber Ramirez had it. Chelsea Dungey had it. Michaela Daniels earned it. Uh, we had four players on our team last year that if they felt good about it, uh, I didn't want them thinking for one second whether. Or not, we wanted them to shoot it. We wanted them to know that the team wanted them to shoot it every time they felt good about it. Yeah, I would say that's a good person to have green light at the all-time leading scorer. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it takes genius to figure that out, doesn't it, man? Oh, you know, oh yeah. If, if it's, but, you know, she put the work in. and I, I think what it does is it, 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 it gives you – it protects her in the locker room. You know, that's what I tell coaches that are, that are listening and, and have the opportunity to coach a team is – if you've got a great player like that, they, they need a little protection in the locker room because we're asking them to shoot it a whole bunch and, you know, be the focal point of a lot of set plays and inbounds plays and sidelines plays. And, you know, it's easy for other kids just to take the easy road out and, and call that kid a ball hog when all they're really trying to do is exactly what the coach wants for the team. So when, when, you, when you give them the green light and those people, her teammates, know that she's earned it, it takes some of that pressure off because they've got the same opportunities. You know, they, they, the gym's open the same number of hours for them it is it's for that kid. Uh, and if they choose to do some other things and, and not come in the gym and earn that green light, then they shouldn't be upset when, when they don't have it. So um, it, it's got a lot of deep-reaching um, roots that I think have benefit. Um, and, you know, something that as long as they let me be the head coach and in charge of things, we're going we're gonna to have kids that have the opportunity to earn the green light. Not always going to earn it. You know, my first year here, we didn't have anybody earn it. Uh, it was hard, and you want it to be hard. You want it to be an elite group. And, um, you know, we've come in three years now from having kids that couldn't get to that level now to having uh, seven or eight that are in there every day in the gym trying to earn that green light so that uh, they can help our team win. And, and like you mentioned, it does take a lot of trust uh, in, in a big game like that, that you're showing as a coach, like, hey, I trust you in, in an NCAA tournament game or in any game. If you have a shot, you, you go ahead and take it. Um, has that has that philosophy ever hurt you in a game, putting that much trust in your players? Uh, no. No, I mean, it may have lost a game. You know, it may have cost us a game because the kid had, um, 
but over the course of, of a season, you don't ever want that kid to, to question whether that ball is coming out of their hands and going in. So, yeah, I, I, I tell you, there's been times that we've had kids that may have shot us out of the game, but I'm okay to live with that. That's, that's basketball. Um, and um, I, I think what you get in reward for that is the confidence to do it on the biggest stage, the biggest time when you need it the most. Um, and more often than not, you know, I say it may have cost us a game. Maybe it didn't. There's other things that go into losing games, whether we rebounded or defended or all that. But um, I've never regretted it. Let me put it that way. You know, I, I would tell you that, yeah, sure, there's probably a time that it, uh, a confident kid was a little bit overconfident. But, man, I, I'd much rather live with that than the underconfidence or the, uh, the lack of confidence that, uh, that might exist. So, um, you know, yeah, sure, I, we, it's cost us a game, but, but something I don't ever regret doing. Yeah, and I was just about to add in, it, it's always good to have confident players. Uh because if you ha- if you have passive players, you're never going to get anything done. Because uh, everybody's just going to be yep. trying to facilitate or do things or have other people do things for them on the court, and that's just not how you win basketball games. Got that right. Yep. So you'd mentioned coaching in big games, or these players making plays in big games, and obviously you're familiar with big games. Uh, you made it to a Final Four. You've made it to a Sweet Sixteen. What's it like to coach in a Final Four? Um. It sounds cliche, but there's no other way to describe it. It is a numbing experience. Um, it's surre- you know you hear the word surreal a lot. And I, I try to avoid cliches, but I've never been able to come up with one to explain what that felt like. Um, and I think it's because how we grow up, you know, hearing one shiny moment, and seeing the uh, the final four on TV, and you know, everybody filling out brackets when you're growing up to actually see your name you know to have president obama write in well i'm gonna write washington in here you know just like wow uh, that did that really just happen <laughs> just the little things uh, the game in itself was very memorable but the the events that surrounded the people we got to meet and, you know get on a, a bus and take a lap around the indianapolis 500 with your players and your team and all the cool things they got to be a part of uh, it was dummy it was um Really, really hard to explain. I can, I can still, if I, if I get still and quiet, I can go back to remember what some of those things felt like. But um, it's, it's something that you hope every, every player on your team gets to experience at some point in time in their career. And it was the first appearance in program history too. Um, obviously, that would be talked about and promoted on campus and, and in the community. So as a coach, do you acknowledge that? And do you acknowledge the history that you're making uh, while you're on that journey? Or do you try to keep everything, like your message, uh, game prep, and your mentality the same as it had been all season? Yeah, I, I know there's a lot of different schools of thought on that. I, when, when we made it, um, I called Gino, Coach Ariema, who's been to more Final Fours than, than anybody, and, and got his advice. He was actually playing on the other side of the bracket. Uh, and he said, man, just experience it. Don't, don't overthink this thing when you get there um if they ask you to go experience something go do it don't don't overthink and think oh this may help hurt us in the game um and and it was great advice uh because the game of all the things our kids talk about and you know it's been almost five years now i've got a couple of those players on my staff now and the things that we talk about don't usually have anything to do revolving around the game so I think you do have to acknowledge it. I think you celebrated it along the way. The community of Seattle was, you know, it's it's one of the biggest sports uh, markets on the West Coast. 
uh, huge Seahawks fans, the Sounders, the Huskies, just, you know, they missed the Sonics very bad. They cheered loudly against the Thunder uh, because <laughs> they got taken away from them. But, uh, no, they, they totally embraced our team. The, the community was um, there when we, when we qualified after we won our Elite Eight game. Uh, flew into the airport. There was a massive welcome. Um, and, you know, the, the kids could really – could really feel how uh, much of an impact they'd made not only on the, the university campus but, but but the entire city of Seattle and the entire state so um, you know in women's basketball too you, it, when you go back and you, and you unpack it and you really look at it not many teams go to the final four because there's been a you know we've had some juggernauts in coach summits Tennessee teams mm-hmm uh Geno's teams at UConn you've had Stanford you had LSU who went five years in a row when you go back and you look at you know teams that have been to the final four in in the last 15 or 20 years there's there's just not very many of them so that was the legacy type leaving thing for our kids um you know that they'll have reunions for those guys they'll retire their jerseys they'll you know they'll do things that those people will be able to bring their kids back to be a part of and and be remembered, and, and and that's one of the small rewards that make up for all these um, downtimes as a coach when when you're not going to the Final Four. So, a fun experience for our kids, and and one that uh, one that uh, I hope we can re- replicate here at at Fayetteville to get give these kids a chance to experience and our fans here in the state. You mentioned how the fan base kind of welcomed you guys with open arms, being such a great sports market in, in Seattle, and obviously you guys were so successful. Along the way, uh, you developed relationships with your players, fans, and administration too, um, but you were offered an opportunity to come home. Was that an easy decision for you, or was it still a pretty difficult decision with everything you'd been through in Washington? Yeah, it, it was not, you know, a no-brainer. You know, I think a lot of people felt that way. It was I made it very public that Arkansas was my dream job from day one. Um, I wanted to be a Razorback player and wasn't good enough in, in any sport, so it turned to being a coach. Um, so, yeah, everybody knew. I, I had applied for the job, the you know, when it had come open the, the three years prior to that. I didn't get the opportunity to come back then. It, it all worked out, obviously, but, um, no, nah, it was not – just an uh, a open and shut deal. We had a great team coming back there. I had literally uh, just unpacked my a box uh, at my new house uh, out there. I'd, I'd been living in a, a small apartment for my first three years as a head coach. And that, that last year, I'd moved into a house finally, and I'd literally just unpacked the last box. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. There were, there were a lot of things to consider, but, you know, my daughter was getting ready to, to be a senior in college here at the university. My son was a, a sophomore in high school in Rogers. Uh, 99% of my living relatives are within a two-hour radius of here, and, you know, I, I went to college here for seven years. I, I, I coached here two different times, and it was, it was certainly something I hoped could be uh, a dream come true, but, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that, that that make you scared about coming home too. So you had to weigh all those out. I had to make sure with my daughter it was you know okay for her dad to be the the coach where she was you know going to college and in a sorority. Uh, uh, make sure it was the timing was right, and and fortunately it did work out. And you know the fans here have been equally as embracive and uh, supportive of what we've done. We've been able to to get our attendance back up and. 
somebody told me some stat the other day that we've increased attendance 96% since we've been back. And Bud Walton's got a, a great atmosphere now that's, that's helped us win a bunch of games. So um, we hope that momentum keeps going after after we figure out what, what next season's going to look like. And, and I know how Razorback fans are because I'm one of them. I'm a Razorback fan in every other sport but women's basketball. Um, and Alex, obviously I'm a fan there too, but a little different perspective. But right. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Razorback fan, and, and I want us to get back to, to being able to do what we can do as safely as we possibly can. But, uh, you know, the fans here are unlike anywhere in the country. Um, I try to explain it to people, other places I've lived, but you really have to be here to experience um, how passionate and how informed and, and how educated uh, our fan base is so it's a challenge but it, it was not a no-brainer by any imagine by any stretch of the imagination but it uh, it ended up being the best decision and uh, the best decision that I've made in my professional career by far well, I'm glad to hear that you think it's such a, a good decision and obviously Arkansas fans everywhere are thrilled that you're here I didn't realize that it was that quick of a turnaround where literally you just finished unpacking your last box and then <laughs> Up, uprooting and moving all the way across the country. Yeah, but uh, that's part of that's part of coaching. You you don't you don't get into this profession and uh, not expect to have to move a little bit. You know, I, I do hope that I will tell you this. I, I kind of I, I think it's Cortez. I, I, I sometimes screw that this uh, this reference up, but you know there was a famous explorer that burned his ships once he he made it to where they were going to to motivate his um, his his troops. So uh, this is the last time I, I burned all my boxes. Uh, I, I don't. I didn't save any moving boxes. I didn't save any packing paper. Uh, so I, I'm hopeful that this is this is the last time I ever have to see the inside of a moving truck. Well, I think I can speak for most of or all of Razorback Nation when I think we all share that sentiment. Um, no, it's okay. You can say most. I, I know I got some. I, I know we don't make everybody happy all the time, so I, I can live with most uh, for sure. I appreciate that, though. Hey, at least you haven't had somebody sending you like a thirty-page breakdown of what you're doing wrong, like Must did last season. No, no, I have. Oh, you I've have? Got, I, oh, yeah. No, I've got. I just don't get the public. Our just doesn't get the publicity. Must does. So, oh no, I get those all the time. No, I get voicemails. <laughs> I get emails. I get. I get all kinds of help after the game, and uh, I always I always respond. I respond to every one of them with it pretty much the same way. I, I send them a copy of our schedule and said if they could please send me the, that information prior to the game, I would love it. You know, please please send me that thirty page breakdown prior to tip off against Tennessee or South Carolina. It's, it's always a team that's like number one in the country too. It's, oh yeah, it's never it's never against somebody that uh, you know. Uh, I call them, you know, dash schools or whatever. It's never against one of those schools. It's always against uh, somebody that's the number one team in the country that they they've usually got what we should have done. So I send them a schedule and tell them my, my address works prior to the game too. So so please please send me that vital information before we tip off. <laughs> I just don't know how people have time. To... <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I know, it, but it's great. I, and I'm telling you, that's what I love about it. I I, I know it, it sounds funny, but. But I, I open every single piece of mail I get. I read every email. I respond to every email, every handwritten note. Um, it just if, if they're going to take the time to do that, then man, I, I can take a few minutes out of my day to to respond to them. And you know, whether I'm being, you know, I'm probably a little sarcastic too much sometimes. I, I know that's an annoying habit that 
or annoying trait that I have. Um, so, uh, but no, nah, they people they're passionate about it, and if they're gonna if they're gonna take the time to write out thirty pages, I'm gonna take the time to read it. Well, coach, you're a better man than I, because I, I don't think I would even <laughs> acknowledge them. Uh, I bet you would. I bet you would. <laughs> So getting kind of back on track here, what was it like going to a Final Four and a Sweet 16 back-to-back and then being thrust into a rebuilding situation where you have your first and only losing season as a head coach? Um, you know, that, that year was as fun as the Final Four year. You know, and, and, I, and people always look at you kind of cross-eyed when you say that. Um, you know, that, that year was just as rewarding uh, if – you know, it it's always seems like people get coach of the year during years where their teams win. Uh, and, I, and I think most coaches would tell you those are probably rarely the years what they would label as the most fun or best coaching jobs or however you'd want to put it. Um, being back and, and seeing the joy back in, in some of those kids' eyes, you know, I think of Malika Monk and I flash back to Devin Cosper's senior speech. Uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the room when, when she talked about how you know, uh, us coming back, you know, literally saved her life and uh, changed the way she viewed a lot of things about her experience at Arkansas and her, her life. So it was rewarding. Uh, it wasn't as, you know, we didn't have as many wins. Uh, we didn't have as many celebrations. But uh, to see the progress that w- was made, to see the, the excitement return back into the kids' eyes who stuck around. We didn't have a lot of kids that stayed. We had a lot of kids that left. Uh, before we got here and a couple that after we got here that uh, knew it was going to be hard and, and, and needed a change. But the kids that stayed uh, and then the new kids that came in um, made it made it as rewarding as that Final Four year. We didn't get to take any trips. We didn't get to drive around the Indianapolis 500 Speedway or anything like that. But uh, I'll have as many fond memories about that particular team as, as the one that, that had a chance to play for the championship. So what goes through your mind in in the middle of that season? And do you kind of adjust your, not just your coaching style, but your messages to more kind of life lessons and battling adversity and that kind of stuff and we're growing together? Do you change your tune on all that kind of stuff? Well, the only thing that changed, expectations didn't change, standards didn't change. The only thing that changed was, you know, focusing on the process um, and, and not, and making sure we stayed in alignment with that. Uh, I, I don't think it would have been a fair to come in and expect a team that was unanimously picked dead last in the SEC and come in and start setting these standards and, and goals that for an SEC championship. I just don't think that's realistic. I don't think that's good self-awareness. I don't think it promotes good mental health for anybody, players, coaches, and men of fans. It just doesn't. So let's let's come in and be very self-aware of, of where we are. Uh, you know, and I remember this exercise very vividly. Uh, I, it was a history lesson. And, and you know, this is – I don't know how long you followed women's basketball, but, you know, this is getting ready to start our 30th year of, of SEC basketball. And I hate to put you on the spot, but this is just for effect. Out of 30 seasons, how many winning seasons do you feel like this program's had? In the SEC, what would be your guess? Out of 30. Out of 30. And this is just SEC record, right? Yep. 12? Yeah, that's a fair guess. I mean, that's, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, that's that's about the number I hear most often, 10 to 12. Uh, The answer is two. 
Oh, wow. The answer is two. There's been two winning seasons prior to last year. Um, and, and so when we got here, there had only been two out of 28. So, you know, I'm looking at these kids in the eye, and, and I'm supposed to get up there and start talking to them about, you know, winning X number. And, and, I, and I win that bar bet almost every time until people realize that if I'm asking it, they always guess low. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, 12, 10, 12 would be a fair amount. But the answer, too, so last year when this group was able to win 10 league games and then two in the tournament, 12 wins in the SEC was the most anybody, any team had ever accomplished. So when you put those things in perspective, I, I think that's where it's important for self-awareness to occur. So our kids knew that. They knew there was something special happening. Now, yeah, you change your tune because you're in a couple weeks. Uh, we, you know, when we get back together as a team, we'll walk in there and say, hey, let's, we're, we should be expecting to win every time we go out. And, and that's a that's a change in approach, not a change in strategy or change in tactics, but a change in what the processes are going to lead to outcomes. And and I think it's the only way that you can successfully build a program. You can have a good team. Uh, you can come in and have a good team by, you know, uh, mind-tricking them, you know, using, use, you know, playing mind games. You can't have a good program doing that way. Um, and when, when you're interested in this being your last job ever, then you need to build a good program and, and not necessarily focus on a, a, a one team, a one-year team. So that's how we chose to do it. it. So far, it's worked out. We're going into year four, uh, I think, a little bit ahead of where most people probably would have expected us to be. We've we played in the SEC champion or the SEC semifinals two years in a row, and uh, that's another first in school history here. So right now, we're just trying to chase being the best version of ourselves we can be and, and see where that lands us nationally and. Um, I think going into the preseason, expectations are high. Yeah, you kind of hit on a couple of the points I was going to be making here uh, quickly. Um, just talking about rebuilding the program uh, at a really quick turnaround. Uh, after the difficult first year, you won 22-plus games back-to-back seasons. Like you said, two semifinal appearances in the SEC tournament. Um, barely missed the NCAA tournament in your second year. Um, kind of a heartbreaking uh, watch party there. Um, yeah. Made it to the third round of the NIT that year, though. Um, and last season was set to be in before the season was canceled. So I do have a lot of questions relating to all of that, just kind of setting the stage for a little bit right now. But first, sure. what, what I was going to ask first was what was your blueprint blueprint for rebuilding a program but i think you've kind of touched on that already well you know part of it a little bit but it's, it's funny you use the word blueprint because we actually have it on blueprint paper uh, <laughs> when we share it with people and, and that's kind of the um uh, the metaphor or analogies that we use as as we, we we talked about this but you know the first thing is just making sure you got the right people surrounding you and that includes that staff that's administration that's support staff that's players, that's managers. Uh, you got to get that right first. And I think we did. Uh, we, we kept the kids who wanted to be Razorbacks. We didn't, I didn't try to talk anybody into staying that thought they, you know, might be questioning that. And then we went out and we found kids who wanted to come here. Uh, same thing with staff, same thing with managers, same thing with, with everybody that we let be a part of our orbit uh, as we were getting things going. You get the right people. You know, then I think the next thing you got to do is schedule. You got to put a schedule together that that gets you better, that gets you prepared for the uh, the challenges that the SEC always brings from from January on. I, 
I think we got that going. Um, and, and once you get the right people around and, and the right opportunities, uh, then you go to work. Uh, and, and I think we, we chose this style. We, we've chosen, we've decided to play a style that gives us a chance to beat the best teams on our schedule. Um, and, and I think that's why we've been able to play deep into the tournaments. Uh, the SEC, the NIT, and, and I think we would have played deep into the NCAA tournament last year. Um, the style of play that's fast and functions fast. We don't turn it over. Uh, we take we take good shots. Uh, we take a lot of threes. We're very analytical. Uh, you know, being from Greenwood, the one thing I learned: three still more than two. So we we try to we try to get three points on every shot, whether that's a layup and getting fouled, or a, a jump shot and getting fouled, or a shot being on the three point line. We had a couple of four-point plays last year. Alexis Tolfrey had a couple of four-point plays. So um, we adopted, you know, got the right people, put together some opportunities, and, and then started building some tactics together that would not only be fun to watch for, to build the fan base back, but would, would help us beat the best teams on the schedule. Four-point plays are not easy to come by. I, I played <laughs> all the way through high school. I played organized ball for probably a decade, yeah. and I think I had one in my entire career. Yeah, you got you got to get a bad defender closing out on you while you're in the middle of a three point shot. But we actually last year in in the Bahamas, uh, we're in a tournament against Wisconsin, and we had an eight point possession. I remember watching uh, that. It was crazy. We were down. We were down two when we got the ball, and by the time the by the time Wisconsin got it back, they were down six. It was the, one of the craziest <laughs> swings of momentum. I've ever seen, uh, even seen, I, I YouTube stuff every now and then just to see if anything's crazier has happened, but that was a crazy moment. Um, our kids uh, our kids go back and pull that clip up. I think it's one of our most watched clips uh, in our library. So uh, try to play a fun style, and, you know, I, I think so far we've been able to do that. We've got great kids. We've been able to attract some really, really quality recruits to come in and, uh, and help us keep this thing going. Players were understandably heartbroken uh, when they missed out on the NCAA tournament a couple years ago um, in 2018. How did you keep their spirits high and coach them to play at a high level to keep advancing in the NIT when they really wanted to be and were so close to being in the NCAA tournament? Yeah. Um, well, again, that's self-awareness. You know, it, it goes back to that. that we, we started from day one and, and, and we were just really honest with them every step of the way when that you know, they put out this thing called the debatable eight, you know, on teams that were going to be on the bubble. And we just kept them in the loop. You know, hey, it's going to be – it is going to be down to the wire. It's going to be probably us in Tennessee. And, yeah, we beat Tennessee head-to-head, but that doesn't always matter. And, um, you know, I, I would tell you that they were disappointed. I, I don't know that any of them really got their head down more than just that moment. Uh, it, it Almost by the time we walked out of that room, you know, it's funny, you'll remember, too, that year was the year that the NCAA tournament bracket got leaked. Uh, we didn't even make it to the watch party. Uh, we were sitting around in the office that afternoon. We had a watch party planned, but there was a glitch at ESPN, and they randomly leaked the women's basketball bracket. I remember that now that you mentioned it. So not only did we not get to have the watch party, we got to be a part of the, the worst possible reveal in history. Uh, then that group of kids had to follow up the next year with being told that their tournament had been canceled after, you know, pretty much guaranteeing a lock of, of being into it. So uh, I, I wish everybody could be around these kids. Kids are so resilient these days. Uh, it was the next day they're like, okay, coach, what's next? 
Okay, what's this NIT all about? How, how does that work? You know, some of them have never even played. Those kids have never played in the postseason tournament. They didn't know how it worked. So uh, it, it was fun. And see the kids not not uh, not let it be the, you know, a, a heartbreaking moment. It, it, it sucked. There's no question about it. But it never really it never really got them down. I'd, I'd say us old fogey coaches and old fans were more disappointed than they were. They were just saying, hey, let's, let's just play as long as they'll let us. And the NIT actually, in the long run, probably turned out to be better for us than the NCAA tournament would have been. Uh, had we gotten in, I think we'd have been a 10 seed or an 11 seed. We would have got shipped out to the West Coast. We would have had to play on a home team's floor in the you know first or second round. And, you know, who knows who would have got to see us. Instead, instead, we got to stay home. We got to build great crowds. Had almost 8,000 people in there for the TCU game. I don't care what the box score says. There were 8,000 people in that gym because I've been in that gym numerous times. And mm-hmm. I know how to count how many people are in there. Um, so we built some momentum, and, and then that carried over to last year when we had huge crowds against Kentucky, Tennessee, and LSU for you know huge home wins. So Kansas State, uh, it's helped us really rebuild it. So I know that's a long answer to a really short question, but the kids managed it. It, it didn't have anything to do with coaching. It was all it was all their leadership of just the self awareness and, and let's play whatever game they schedule for us next. That's a really good mindset to have as a player. I mean, that kind of just goes back to partially just the love of the game. Just, I want to play. Just where are they sending us? Let's play. Yep, doesn't matter. What time? Doesn't matter. Who? Doesn't matter. Just just tell us. Tell us what we're up against. Be honest with us. Let's have some. And, and when you when you can keep things consistent like that, uh, you know, you just want – you. Just, you just want your kids to have that approach, and when you see them executing it, you're you're proud because you know that uh, that's going to carry on later in life for them. You know, there if the worst thing that happens to us is we don't get to play in a tournament, which as we've learned this year, I mean, I think as an example, this group will always be able to share with future groups how valuable you have to count each day you get to play because it can be taken away from you tomorrow. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, whether it's a virus or a sudden injury or a, an illness, any of that stuff, uh, I think it's given our kids an appreciation and an understanding that that it is a privilege, it's an honor, and it's not something everybody gets a chance to do. And uh, it, it's fun to see that through the eyes of your players, even though they're young and they don't know what they're missing out on. It's it's really cool to see them enjoy what they're doing. You, you mentioned that in the NIT you were drawing crowds of 8,000 or so. What would you say is the biggest crowd that you've seen uh, for one of your games in Fayetteville? Uh, that TCU game. Uh, there was – the bottom bowl was almost full, uh, which, you know, that seats right at, right at 10,500. Uh, and just a few seats in between on the ends were, were not open. There were a few people who just wanted to spread out and went up into the upper deck. Um, but that's the biggest crowd of, of a team that, that I've been the head coach of. Uh, I was in there the night that Coach Blair and then put 14,000 people in there for the Wisconsin game. Um, so uh, that's the biggest crowd here in, Ar- here in Arkansas. We sold out uh, our last several games at, at Washington. We sold the arena out there uh, uh, to see Kelsey's last game and some and Chantel and and, and our seniors' last game in Seattle. And then, of course, the Final Four was, was almost 25. But, uh, you know, played in front of 25 people, played in front of 25,000. It, it, it really – the game doesn't change that much. It just 
it just magnifies how loud things are and how you got to communicate with your kids. But uh, we're hopeful that, you know, if, if obviously with COVID, the chances of being able to, you know, sell an arena out, probably not going to happen this year, but we're, we're hopeful in the near future that, uh, that we can get a, a crowd in, in Walton Arena where they do have to open the, the top up. I'm sure you'll get there, Coach. But like we're you said, oh, I'm, I'm sure you will. But when you when you talk about the game not changing, I'm always reminded of that scene from Hoosiers where uh, yeah. Gene Hackman measures the the free throw line and the rim and everything like that. Yep, yeah, that's a great scene. We actually, it's funny you mentioned that. We did that when we were uh, in Indianapolis. Uh, we we practiced in Hinkle Fieldhouse where they shot that movie. So. Uh, our girls got a chance to recreate that, uh, recreate that scene, and uh, yeah, that's a that's a good good way to look at it. Goal's always ten feet high. Free throw line will always be fifteen feet, and uh, ball's always going to be the same size. Yes, sir. So after two years of missing the tournament for reasons beyond your team's control, how hungry are they to make the tournament? I know you said they just want to play wherever they're put, but you got to think as as being competitive college athletes that they do have that mindset no i, I want to get there yeah they do they, they have that and, and we've got a few kids now you know who have transferred in that have played in some tournament games to share with those kids what that feels like um and and, and if you judge it by how they've they've handled this this break and this time away from the game uh i i can tell you that they are um they are very hungry uh to, to get that opportunity uh, you can just tell in the work that they put forth and, and how their approach is and how they've stuck together and taken care of each other. So, um, you know, it, it will be something that they will use as a measuring stick for sure. How has the culture changed since you got there? Uh, you know, I, I don't know what it was like before. I wasn't here when they, you know, when they were at, at pit toward the bottom. Uh, so I don't know how much it's changed. Uh, I know this. I know that from the people that were here that are still here, uh, they would tell you that these kids' approach is, is just uh, very mature. Uh, they, they talk all the time about how these kids have gone from, you know, almost dreading going to practice to really looking forward to it and, and being upset when we, we don't have the opportunity maybe to practice. So I hope that's an example of it, how it has. Um you know, I have seen with our kids uh, elevated expectations, and when you see that, you know that they're they're growing. You know that they're not um, complacent with uh, where they've been or where they are. They they really want to get outside their comfort zone and continue to that growth zone. And uh, when you see that, that 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 means that some of the things you're doing is right. You know, I think culture has got such so many definitions if, if we put 50 coaches in a room and ask them to define culture i think it would get 50 different answers these days it's become such a um a, an undefinable buzzword we, we we try to stay away from it we we really focus on our systems and our standards because those are definable right you, know, you can list a set of behaviors and our kids know what they are uh, they they know what what that standard is and they police each other and our coaches uh, a lot. I mean, our kids police us. If, if I roll in there with the wrong gear on for practice, man, they're the first ones to point that out. So um, I think when you get it to that point, you've got a healthy environment, you've got an environment that's built around 
trust and growth and desire to continue to improve and just not really always not really care about who you're playing just focus on you doing what you're going to do uh, and make them adapt to you uh, obviously scouting's big and you want to understand who you're guarding and know the analytics and, and know the tendencies but um if you get a group of people together, especially, I think, in basketball, the, the sport's unique in that, you know, we have to play both sides of the ball, and it's a, it's an ever nonstop game with the clock. Uh, when you get a group of basketball players together that are that have that same approach and are holding each other to the same standards, it's just cool to be around them. You know, it, it creates a really neat environment that, you know, it's different every day and, and on a daily basis is, is fun part to be around. Oh, yeah. When you finally get to that point where all the players are holding themselves accountable and even, like you mentioned, holding coaching staff accountable, that's when you know you have a special group that wants to win and they yep. take their, their job seriously and their role seriously. Yep. You know, getting it right rather than being right. You know, that, that gets thrown around our, our place an awful lot. We really don't care who, who is right, who's wrong. Let's just get it right. Uh, whether it's a player um, bringing up a, a set play or a, an idea or a, a manager or a, a GA or any, anybody that's associated with our program, uh, let's just get it right. It, it doesn't matter whose idea it was. Let's let's be uh, let's be collaborative and, and be uh, tolerant of, of other people's ideas and ways of going about presenting it. Uh, it, it when you get that, it, it raises your level up. Uh, you don't want to walk in. You don't want to walk into our uh, our team room uh, unprepared. Uh, you're going to stick out. Uh, you're going to you're going you're going to be the weak link if, if you come in there less than prepared, less than your best. Uh, it, it's not a fun place to be. I've been there. Hey, I, I've had a bad. I've had a, a bad morning or two where I didn't get my stuff together and. I rolled in there with a practice plan that probably wasn't put together very well. And, man, it didn't take very long before I had a couple of players going, Coach, you feeling all right? This practice sucks. What, what are you doing? You know, what's going on here? Um, and as uncomfortable as that is to hear sometimes, it's a cool place to be uh, because, you know, they got your back when you are having a bad day. I always make a deal with our point guards. Me and you both can't have a bad day on the same day. Uh, one of us has <laughs> got to have a good day. So there's there's a lot of times we walk in and look at each other and just kind of have a temperature check there on are you good are you good let's go and when we're both good we have good days and if we're both having a bad day man it's it's a really bad day yeah point point guards are definitely the floor generals and the coaches on the floor so if you got a coach with a yeah. bad day and a point guard with a bad day you're in for a rough night that is not good it's not good. <laughs> So just closing out here with you, Coach, what what are your expectations for, for the team this year, uh, assuming there is one? Yeah, just, uh, you know, they're really, really high and undefined. Um, I just think this group has put themselves in a, in a really unique opportunity to, uh, to compete against the best the country has to offer. That's why we scheduled Baylor. Um, that's why we got into the NIT preseason NIT. It's why we were bringing Gonzaga in here. It's why we were coming back to Little Rock to play Coach Foley. Um, we we felt like this group presented with the right opportunities to be challenged, uh, stay away from injury, uh, stay healthy uh, on a given night. You know, we had to play South Carolina three times last year. Mm-hmm. They were the number one team in the country. 
Uh, I, I feel like if there had been an NCAA tournament, uh, you know, people want to argue whether it would have been them or Oregon or Notre Dame or somebody else. I, you know, who knows? But I know that the somebody was going to have to beat South Carolina at some point to win the national championship. And we got to see those guys three times. Uh, played them close twice, and once they blew us out of the water. But we knew exactly what it looked like. Um, and I was – I came – I came out of COVID and am coming out of the COVID time firmly convinced that we've got a group of kids that that have the opportunity to, to, to go out there and play with anybody in the country. So if we live up to our standards and our commitments match up to, to where we think we ought to go, then uh, I'm not about to put a ceiling on this team. And I think that's sometimes what goals and things can do. You know, if you start saying, oh, I think we can go to the Sweet 16. Well, then what happens if you go to the Elite Eight? You know, what happens if you get to the Final Four? They, they think you've already reached your goal. So, not about to put a ceiling. I, I think this group could leave a legacy here. They haven't already. You know, that, that, that term got bounced around in our media locally the other day. Legacy <laughs> and legend was extremely defined in our Arkansas media. So, I, I don't want to get that rattled, rattled back up. But uh, I do think this group has a chance to – you know, be one of those teams that has their picture hung up in a gym for a long time, you know, having done something. Never been to back-to-back NCAA tournaments. The program since joining the SEC, never been back-to-back NCAA tournaments. And, and although we didn't play in it last year, we're celebrating it like we did. We're putting a, a banner, a year up on the banner, and we were going to the tournament. So we're going to we're gonna remember it like we did. So, oh, yeah, there's, there's no way, question. Find a, way, find a way to get back in it. Again, that'll be another historic um, thing that this team has accomplished. Uh, another checkbox in the legend legacy area, and um, I, I just—they're they're a lot of fun. It's a really, really hard room to get into as a player. Uh, it's a fun room to be in as a coach, and um, I'm going to try to enjoy this year um, as as much as we can. Whatever comes down, whether we're in a bubble, whether we're playing—you uh, know—we've got we got all kinds of things we can we can be be doing this time of the year if just depend on what they tell us we're allowed to do so uh, no no there'll definitely be no uh no goal set but it's gonna be fun to watch to see how far how far they can go right and we're obviously all looking forward to watching what you can do with this team and watching all the all the players compete and seeing what happens well we appreciate it we uh we'll we'll be just like everybody else we'll see what happens tomorrow uh, we'll have a plan for today and be ready to adapt and adopt tomorrow. Uh, see what happens. Yes, but, uh, sir. I appreciate what y'all got going and uh, all the support. And uh, our, our kids certainly sense it and feel it. And we can't thank you enough. Yes, sir. And I thank you so much for joining me today, Coach Neighbors. It really, really means a lot that you hopped on here with me. You bet. Enjoy it. Let me know how I can help you uh, help promote it. Yes, sir. Have a good day. Bye, man. See you.